Greetings. Welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Ontic's Chief Security Officer. From 30 years as a military officer and over 25 transforming corporate security teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protective strategies through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the discussion. Hi, I'm Chuck Randolph, and I'm here today with Suzanne Kelly, the founder, CEO, and publisher of The Cypher Brief, which is a national security-focused media organization. Suzanne is also the founder of the Cyber Initiatives Group, which is a cyber ecosystem of national security experts who apply their broad expertise to the cyber problem as well as hybrid and asymmetric issues. She's a former CNN intelligence correspondent and executive producer. Suzanne, welcome to Ontic's Protective Intelligence Podcast. Chuck, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh, it's been a it's been a hot minute, as the kids say, since we've actually I've actually seen you and and the the excellent team over at the Cipher Brief. So I'm honored to have you on and, and kind of pick your brain. I was thinking on my drive in today, uh, considering you know us getting on the mic together, you and I are often people who are on the other side of the mic, if if you know what I mean. Like part of our job is to pull insights from other people. I mean, but this is an opportunity for me to maybe pull some insights for you. So uh, I'm excited about that. You're turning the tables on me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's rightly so. I mean, you have been around the intelligence space for a very long time. Uh, you, you've been in and out of Ukraine several times since that crisis war conflict happened. And you've been on the forefront of reporting and discerning insights on most of the major activity affecting the U.S. national security space, the global national security space, and I would say in a second and third order effect, you know, the corporate security space. I mean, mm -hmm. so with that kind of preamble, Suzanne, I mean, as you wake up and, you know, we're in January of 2024, and like the who said, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I mean, it looks very much like 2023. What are you contemplating nowadays? Such a great question. I, I just feel like, Chuck, we're living in, in such an important time in history. And I'm sure everyone can, has said that over the years. But the, the threats that the United States is facing and, and the West is facing when it comes to what's happening in the war in Ukraine uh, what's happening right now in the Middle East, um, Iran, the, just uh, the sort of what I, on a personal level, see as the deterrence effect of the United States being not what it once was. Um, and then, you know, what a lot of our experts at the Cypher Brief talk about, which is the, the pacing threat of China, what that means, not just for national security and for global security, but what that means for business uh, is are all topics that I'm very focused on uh, on a day to day basis. You know, I think all those are are important, and you know, as as we think about like history, often doesn't repeat, but it, it definitely rhymes. Um, and especially when we think of of things like um, the the pacing threat of China, or you know, potential eruption of the Middle East, and the protracted conflict, crisis, war that's happening in Ukraine. I mean, how how would you 
consider, you know, corporate folks or people in large organizations or nonprofits or NGOs to look at the news on a daily basis and, and think like, what are the issues that I should be going back to my team on some of these? Let's take, let's take, uh, let's take the Middle East, Israel, um, Hamas, and the war going on there. How and what should people be thinking about from, say, an organizational space as they look at their, their news every day? It's such a great question. And if I could kind of just go back to the beginning for a quick beat here, you know, I launched the Cypher Brief in 2015 um, after a career of being a journalist for CNN and and working really um, in places all over the world, because I really felt like the private sector uh, was not only impacted by what was happening around the world, but the private sector is the backbone of the U.S. economy, which is really a, a humongous component to national security. And so I've been really interested since February of 2022 and the months preceding the Russian invasion of Ukraine and really looking at the private sector's role there as well. And all of a sudden, we just saw what I would say is a significant shift in how the world is dealing with geopolitical events like this war, Um, just watching how the private sector came into that arena and started sharing technologies in ways that didn't always go through layers of government bureaucracy and asking permissions and things like that, I think has really spoken to the speed uh, of innovation in the private sector, um, the speed at which the private sector is able to act. Um, And I think it's kind of redefining um, how conflicts are going to be dealt with in the future, how wars are going to be fought in the future, We talk a lot about AI and technology, but we don't always talk about the private sector being a key, you know, they're not just affected. They're not just sort of on the victim end of whatever happens around the world. They're actually driving uh, a lot of how history is, is turning out. And I think that's a really fascinating part of where we are right now. I think when it comes to specific instances like the Middle East, I think of the private sector in two different buckets, those who obviously are focused really just on the bottom line, they do business there, how it's going to impact, you know, the overall health of the company, which is why the bottom line is so important. And also when they're thinking about the safety and security of the people who they have working in these areas around the world, I mean, it's, you've got to have a full-time job on your plate (laughs) dealing with you know, the protective intelligence uh, aspect of, of what it means now to keep your employees safe in, in all of these places all over the world, I think is just a humongous mission and an important one for a whole host of reasons. I, I remember being at uh, a Cypher Brief conference. I think it was probably 2016 out, in, uh, out, out there and you on stage talking about the role of corporate security in the larger, I think we say meta nowadays of, of, of the, you know, national security, global security, um, uh, supply chain, if you will. And, yeah. and it occurred to me then, and I, I think it, it, it occurs now even like, look, many CEOs, many organizational leaders like, look, I don't, I don't want to be involved in geopolitics. It's not my thing. I'm here for investors. I'm here to make profits. I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but I have a job and now all of a sudden, whether I like it or not, the geopolitical stage has drug me up on it and I have a seat in the background or in some cases like you, like I think you were alluding to, I'm forefront. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's interesting. What are your observations been on that role from, say, the private sector into, I would say, reluctantly being drugged 
front and center many of these issues. I think, you know, like if, if I'm an organization now, I'm, I have this bifurcated issue where, hey, I need to do business with, uh, with China or other areas, but I also need to be conscientious of, of where, where my flag sits, if you will. Yeah. You know, I always like to uh, go back to General Michael Hayden, something that, you know, he has said over the years that only proves more true every year, which is the world has maybe been more dangerous in the past where there are immediate dangers of nuclear war or take the Cuban Missile Crisis, whatever, you know, whatever you want. But it has never been more complicated than it is today. And I think if you're sitting in the C-suite and you're not 100 percent clear on how geopolitical uh, events around the world will impact your business because they will. Um, and you know, this, this ridiculously rapid pace of technology, um, then you're just holding on to, uh, to days of the past that are, are not going to, not going to really help you move forward, stay innovative, stay cutting edge and ultimately stay healthy, um, from a business perspective. So I think there are a lot of companies, you know, uh, that I've dealt with because we, I also run something called the cyber initiatives group, which is a group of cyber experts who come together to um, produce these virtual events for free four times a year. Um, and and every single time we talk to them, you know, they say a lot of them do board consulting at some of the world's largest companies. And they say still there is a, a learning curve when it comes to understanding the impact of both geopolitical events and then, you know, cyber and tech. And uh, yep. there are still companies that you know, you'd probably be surprised or are not where they need to be in terms of where the experts think they should be. And, and they're thinking about these issues. It's a big deal. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I think the first time we met, I, I was still in the military. You know, I have a career in the, the Guard and the Reserves and Information Operations since retired, but we used to have a sayings there that, you know, we're no longer in that 3G environment. You know, at first on the corporate security side, it's guns, gates, guards, but now you've, it's evolved to guns, gates, guards, gigabytes. And again, I, I think I go back to some of the cyber initiative stuff where we, you, I've heard, you know, the experts talking about hybrid warfare, what we might back in the day call asymmetric threats, but now we have guns, gates, guards, gigabytes. I mean, it just shows like you said, it's, it's more complex and it might, I, I think, uh, Fred Burton, uh, my comrade here at the, the center for connected intelligence once said like, look, it may not be more dangerous now, but it's definitely the ability to see the danger is there. Um, yeah. what are your thoughts, especially coming from the, from the journaling or the journalist side of the house or putting, you know, your journalist hat on Suzanne, how should leaders think about misinformation, disinformation? You know, again, our job, if our job is to enable decision makers, how do we critically look at the news that's coming to us today and, and make sure that, A, our bosses aren't uh, succumbing to bias and that we aren't? Oh my gosh, that's like my favorite question you could have asked me. <laughs> First, let me just start by um, asking a, a personal favor. Tell Fred Burton I said hello. He's fantastic. And if you haven't read his books, they are on my bookshelf. Um, he he told me earlier to, to send his his greetings to you. I told him I was getting ready to have a podcast. He's like, oh, how wonderful. He's fantastic. And and if I could just add one more G to your excellent list there, guns, gates, guards, gigabytes, and geopolitics, um, I think you're onto something here. I see a pattern evolving. Um, I, you know, disinformation and misinformation is an incredibly 
risky threat to the United States. Uh, Obviously, it spreads beyond the borders, but just what we've seen with elections and rhetoric and emotion and how outside entities, aka Russia and, and now China as well, are able to take a single bit of truth from something and then weave a web of lies around it and then drop that into social media feeds and other places where Americans are so conditioned to get information at their fingertips, to make snap decisions, to reshare things, to believe a headline because they don't either want to take the time or don't have the time to actually read through those first few paragraphs of a story and to apply what I think in the future needs to become basic critical thinking that will help them quickly discern where a source is coming from, if it's a credible Mm -hmm. place, if the organization that they're in the material that they're reading names sources, if they tell you something about the source, if the source must remain anonymous, including why. Um, I think, you know, having uh, a country that is full of critical thinkers is going to be a lot better for our future than having a country of people inclined to believe a headline. Uh, It is so cheap and so easy for um, adversaries to create these disinformation narratives and so easy for us to believe them. But it's, you know, it's to our demise. It's it's frightening because it takes away all barriers to entry to to play the grand strategy, if you will. In other yes. words, if we're a small country, we can play with the big countries too through through things like mis and disinformation and these asymmetric threats, if you will. Whereas opposed to like when it comes to a point like a land war or something where that's a whole nother conversation right there. But in these smaller, you know, inform and influence type operations, I mean it really it it really it's it's a cheap entry into a conflict, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, unfortunately, the adversaries know it. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's very difficult for the United States having a free and open democracy to find ways to effectively combat it short of education. And who has time for education these days? We're all too busy. So it's it's scary. I, I, I probably, too, will just say, like, from a very personal perspective, I think where we are is uh, to a great degree symbolized by um, the rise of Twitter. Um, now acts now, I don't know, maybe someday out of business if you're kind of watching what's happening with the organization and reading those headlines. But, you know, Twitter was a platform that was launched that gave everybody such great excitement, but it also gave everybody this megaphone um, and even uninformed opinions things that just simply weren't true, but would tug on your emotions, were able to be put out there in the same sphere as people who are true experts, have years and sometimes decades of understanding issues. Everybody was on a level playing field and oh my gosh, what a mess. I mean, can you imagine if, you know, we were going to sit down to watch Super Bowl Sunday and all of a sudden they let anybody out on the field who wanted to play? I mean, what a disaster that would be. And and I think that's really, um, you know, technology has done a lot of good, but it's also done a lot of bad. And and I think when it comes to sharing opinions versus experienced sort of perspectives, um, that's been a huge risk. A couple things on that. One, that is probably one of the best analogies I've heard in a long time. I will quote you on that, but I'm going to steal that and use it. The Super Bowl Sunday is a great way to think about um, what that means. Like anyone can yeah. get on the field and, 
and the chaos that that will ensue. I mean, I think another thing is like, you know, shameless plug for the cipher brief. I think when you look at, when you look at issues that are coming out and a lot of these things, like you say, you, you they're, they're free for you to go on. It just takes a, a modicum of search and critical thinking to say, look, this is what I feel. This is what I'm hearing. Here's a place that's going to bring an expert on to talk about it. That might cause me some discomfort. I mean, I think I heard, you know, we're on the, we're on the cusp of elections. You know, it's happening this year. Stephen Kotkin, a few years ago, the, I think the Stanford historian said, you know, we're at, we're at a very existential place in, in American, you know, American politics and our view, you're either with us or against us. Yeah. And I think it's far more, it's, it's, it's almost imperative that we, to your point, look at things critically. What am I seeing? Can I find an opposite view? It might make me uncomfortable, but I need to consider it. What am I missing yeah. in that formula, Suzanne? You know, what I see happening now uh, takes me right back to kindergarten, Chuck, when, um, <laughs> you know, you had friends who who would exert their five-year-old power by saying, you can't be my friend if you're someone else's friend. But unfortunately, we live in a country that was not based and is not founded on those ideas. We're founded on freedom. We're founded on the ability to have differences of opinion. Um, we're founded on really, truly, our government is founded on the idea of compromise. So uh -huh. for me, from a personal perspective, if it's, you know, you're with us or against us when it comes to U.S. politics, you're not really American. Uh, and I'll be bold okay. and, and put that out there. And it's, you know, I, I tend not to share my own personal opinions, but I, I will on that front. Um, I, I have you know, family members, um, on, on that are more conservative. I have family members that are more liberal. I love all of them. Um, but I have seen even some members of my own family over the years, like everyone else, I'm sure really dig in on their positions and really get passionate about someone's wrong. And that's all I'm going to focus on instead of focusing on, okay, let's come back. Where are the areas where, where we agree? Because this thing called American democracy is worth doing anything that any of us can to, to preserve and protect and digging in and attacking each other is certainly not the way to do it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I, and I think one thing to kind of uh, stretch that out a little bit is, you know, our families may not always agree, but we can sit down at the dinner table. And I think that's something that's fantastic about. Yeah. Yeah. About and, America, and I wish we could say that can, as a broader community yeah. right now. Yeah, I agree. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you about the Ontix Center for Connected Intelligence. In the world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the Ontix Center for Connected Intelligence. The center is a hub for the ongoing exchange of security strategies and best practices, insights on current and past trends, and sharing valuable learnings through expert discussion and analysis. It's made up of seasoned experts with decades of experience across a wide range of disciplines. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co backslash center. Um, let me shift gears because I, I don't want 
to let you go without getting your thoughts on Ukraine specifically. You've been there several times over the last 18 months and you've seen things on the ground. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts and insights about, about what's happening with that conflict and that war? Hugely important that Americans don't think of this as a foreign war. Hugely important to mm-hmm. me that they understand the implications of what it means if Ukraine loses. I just got off uh, a recording of a podcast that I just did for the State Secrets podcast, which I host with Ralph Golf, who's just one of the three real experts that we've welcomed to the Cypher Brief Network this week. He has 35 years at the CIA, six time station chief. And he really summed it up well, saying that um, if, if Ukraine loses this war, it is not a loss for Ukraine, it is a loss for the world. And, and he goes into great detail and kind of connecting those dots. I, I feel like the Cypher Brief is so committed to um, better understanding, better educating people on what this means that we've hosted a couple of events there now. We've, we've had a, a Kiev Economic and Security Forum that we went in during a time of war in May of 2023 and welcomed 45 U.S. business professionals who have expertise in drone technologies, drone detection, you name it, cyber expertise, actually made the trip to Kiev with us. We're doing it again. Uh, coming up a little bit later this spring, where we keep it close hold for the actual date and location for security purposes. But sure. we do have a website up at the Cypher Brief where people can find out more if they're interested. Um, I really think it's important to keep the focus on this because, as I mentioned kind of earlier in our conversation, Chuck, this is no longer a world that we're living in where government is is or should be relied on to uh, make all the decisions and keep everyone safe. Mm-hmm. It's just not a realistic assessment of the players on the field. And I think that what's happening there um, is a, a true indicator of whether we're going to continue to lead from a, um, a democratic, peaceful, open world, or we're going to um, let communism in particular um, take root. Um, there are things that are happening from a human rights perspective um, in, mm-hmm. in Russia that are just absolutely abhorrent. I think, um, you know, shameless plug on my end, but... One of the best pieces of analysis that I have read is something that the Cypher Bay published just recently called The High Price of Losing Ukraine, written by a very talented um, Russia fellow at the Institute for the Study of War. Um, and it, it really does spell out what's at risk here for everyone. And, and I do believe that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in our day to day. It's easy to get caught up in domestic U.S. politics and, you know, just keeping up with the frenetic, the crazy pace of life. But not understanding how these events will impact us is is devastating. I think you're right. And by the way, Institute for Study of War, also one of my other favorite uh, things uh, next to the Cypher Fantastic. Brief that's on my my regular read and listen um, yeah. uh, list. But I think you're right. I think you're right. Look, the pace of life fueled by technology, which is neither good nor bad, it just is. Yeah. Um, and the pace uh, that we're able to view information, you know, I'm I'm a proponent, like not everything can be boiled down into 180 characters, even though we, we try. Yeah. Um, you know, now and now we have places like Fringe where people can like, look, I don't want to be on X or Twitter or Facebook if people are still there or, you know, or wherever I go. Um, yeah. Now I can go on some Fringe group and I can talk about what I want. I I recently was listening to an interesting interview discussing right-wing extremisms and the use of online gaming Mm -hmm. to both recruit 
yeah. train, um, you know, command control, intelligence, share, and also the gamification of um, trying to inspire people to terrorist acts. So I, I mean, it, in some ways it's frightening, but yet we still have to, we still have to live. We still have to do all the things we do and we still have to find our why and our purpose and all that. Yeah. I think that's absolutely um, really important, especially from a parenting perspective <laughs> to really sure. understand, you know, how these platforms can be exploited and really having serious conversations with your kids about what exploitation yep. looks like, how to identify it when you see it, you know, how influence works. Um, these are basic yeah. things that, you know, our education system is just not caught up with teaching us how to critically think and how to ask the right questions. It's scary. And, you know, that seems to come up a lot in interviews and discussions that, that I have. And I got to think for you as well, like this, this idea of critical thinking, just like the Socratic method, other like basic, basic critical thinking skills that seem to be tested on a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. One of my, uh, <laughs> it's a little personal side. One of my favorite beverages is a, is a fantastic skinny margarita. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I would love, I, I love when my husband says, oh, it's fine. It's, it's fine. You know, it's not going to hurt you. And uh, however, if you have goals in life of, you know, wanting to be fit, wanting to stay healthy, that really delicious margarita every night is probably not the best thing, but it, you know, that's a critical thinking skill that <laughs> straight from my kitchen, but it's true, right? <laughs> But it's but absolutely it's true, and I totally agree with you on the skinny margarita. By the way, uh, <laughs> but I also understand like, look, future me needs to consider this. Sometimes future me loses, sometimes future me wins. I guess it depends. That is um, so true. You know, so true. I'll send you my recipe you know, later, Chuck. <laughs> please do. Um, you know, Suzanne, you've, I've again, I've followed the cipher brief since its inception, but I've followed you for many years, and you know, when I was you know, at corporate America, you know, I, I, your insights that you had while you were at CNN assisted me on, on a regular basis. I mean, what drives Suzanne Kelly to do what she does now? I mean, what drove you to the cipher brief and what's the why that keeps you like engaged in trying to bring these insights to the forefront and, and, and help people solve these problems? Oh my gosh. That's, that's such a great question. I, don't spend a lot of time uh, thinking about what drives me. I just kind of, I'm always in do mode, but if you're <laughs> going to force me to answer that question. I would say it just like many of us, you know, I, I, I live life with a grateful heart and I'm just so privileged to have been able to have a career in journalism and to tell other people's stories to me was something that really mattered. Um, over the years, it wasn't just telling other people's stories. It was clearly explaining why this mattered uh, on a broader scale. And, and then it became making sure that the, the people I was going to to better understand were actual real experts in what they were talking about. So it's sort of been an evolution, I guess, Chuck, just driven by a need to want to be helpful Uh to want to do something good during my time here. Um, I think that's, you know, sometimes that's enough. Sometimes doing something that's useful um, in the bigger picture is enough. And I think that's enough for me. That's Suzanne, how did, how did nine 11 affect you? I mean, you like me were probably, I mean, I look at a lot of people I know and nine 11 was a, was an existential um, had an existential effect on many. I mean, how did, how did that affect you? 
you know, I think it was uh, a wake up call for me, Chuck, that uh, we're not living in a world where everyone loves America. I was raised in the Midwest and had this strong belief as a kid that, and we were taught this in schools, that everyone loves America. Everyone loves the United States. Mm -hmm. The United States is wonderful. Um, and I think 9-11 was a massive punch in the gut and a wake up call that none of that is true. You know, there's a huge disconnect between um, what I think middle America, I'll just say, just really meaning mm -hmm. average Americans, um, think about how the world sees us and the links at which they're willing to go to uh, destroy our way of life. And, you know, you'll get a different narrative there than you will, obviously, if you're, you know, in the deepest halls of the CIA, where they are constantly focused on the people who are trying to take that away. Right. I think for me, it was a wake up call um, after just the huge shock and devastation uh, of watching that building fall on on the life shot as I was watching the reporter talk about what had happened that day and trying to mm -hmm. reconcile what I was seeing uh, and determine whether it was actually real. Um, just to read the stories of these amazing human beings who lost their lives is is really a reminder every day about why you've got to get up, you've got to do the stories, you've got to do the work, you've got to try to help people understand so that terrible things like that don't continue to happen is is really what drives me. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I my uh I have a friend Matt Hanner who's who's passed away, but he was a contemporary artist out of Chicago and he li he lived in an apartment that was under the the flight path to O'Hare. Oh and when 9-11 happened with a true artist's heart, he put a recording device out in his backyard. And there's 12 hours of plane flights that suddenly and slowly over time stop. And then all you hear is bird calls and everything else. And I went to a show where he premiered that and did the I don't want to say chilling. I just, at the moment, I can't think of a better word, but the, the effect that had, the profound effect that had as a reminder of, you know, what it did to stop, um, you know, to, to stop, you know, I'm, I grew up in the Midwest too, but what that did, what that meant, how we think about that. And I think about many people in our, in our industry, our greater industry and, and, and how that affected them. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, what, What's you said that there's another Ukraine mission coming for the cipher brief. There, there's more briefings. Tell us more about what's happening right now and what's exciting with with the team over there. Yeah, thank you for asking. The cipher brief does a couple of things I think really well. We put out a daily open source report that if you are really focused on what's happening in the world that's impacting national security, your own corporate security, possibly uh, mm -hmm. because of how we collect information that's happening uh, geopolitically. Um, that's something we're super proud of. We're, we're continuing to develop and use technology to develop that project in really exciting ways. Um, that's something that you know Brad Christian really well. Brad Christian runs that for us. Oh, yeah. um, on the event side, we have this phenomenal uh, conference that we do every fall called the Cypher Brief Threat Conference. You can find out more about that at tcbconference.com where we bring a lot of government uh, folks and a lot of private sector folks together to tackle a lot of these issues and, and bring what they have to the table and the conversations are just absolutely compelling. Uh, the event that you mentioned in Ukraine, this will be our second year uh, doing this. I feel like this might be one of the most important events that Cypher Brief does. Um, the conversations and connections that you make with uh, Ukrainian people who are so willing 
to be not only open-minded and on the receiving end of the best that American private sector can offer, but also incredibly innovative with how they use it. Ukrainian people aren't people who are going to take something and just thank you and use it in the way that it's been prescribed. They're going to break it apart. I mean, you've heard the term MacGyver used, you know, for those of us old enough to remember the old television series, we were all kind of in awe at what this character was able to do with what he was given. I think that's what we're seeing with Mm -hmm. Ukraine. But just the opportunity to host a conference where you're bringing all of these really gifted, talented uh, companies sometimes, individuals together to try to make a difference in what's happening there, uh, I think is going to be the event of the year for me. Well, I I appreciate the innovation. Like I said, myself, when I was you know working for a multinational, going to the conference helped expand the way I was thinking. It also helped me figure out how to... Uh, how to balance, you know, myself as a military leader and then myself as a corporate leader and what that fine line was and, and how I could do that. And that was such a great way for me to like discern more about that and really to sit down with the experts and continued experts and ask them questions, you know, and, and get like a, an unadulterated answer right there, you know, whether it was at a happy hour or at lunch or just sitting at a table with somebody. So appreciate yeah. the efforts that, that you and Brad and company have continued to do there. What about you personally, Suzanne? I mean, um, when are you going to, when are you going to write another book? How do people follow you? Where do they, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about. Well, I kind of uh, expose myself for not being a huge user of uh, Twitter or X, but you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm still, I'm a LinkedIn lover. Um, I post a lot of kind of, um, I, I do these weird things on LinkedIn where I will, I love taking photographs of all the things that we do and the travels around the world. And I post like behind the yes. scenes images and I've, I've done that with Ukraine and I'm, I'm in the middle of one now on just how our threat conference came together last year because not to get too far in the weeds, but uh, the first day was October 7th and we know what happened on October 7th and the CIA director called yeah. me and said, I'm really sorry, I'm not going to be able to come down and join you for extremely understandable reasons. Um, but I'm, I'm posting a series of photographs on LinkedIn. You can also find the Cypher Brief at thecypherbrief.com. Um, mm-hmm. Our conference is at tcbconference.com. And Kiev, I believe, is at tcbkievforum.com, K-Y-I-V, mm-hmm. uh, the Ukrainian spelling. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to engage. And, you know, I, I love conversations that are based in respect and, you know, sometimes differences of, of opinion. Uh, and, and I love LinkedIn for that purpose. It does a great job. Awesome. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for spending time. I know, I, I know you're busy. My best to Brad, my best to the team. And thanks for coming on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Likewise, Chuck. And let me throw it right back at you. Thanks so much for your service. I, I still think service in, in the military is a really important part of, uh, of why we're all able to enjoy the freedoms we are. And I'm in that group. And, and thank you for continuing to lead in the private sector. I think making that transition is also something that deserves uh, a lot of respect and, and our thanks. So thanks for having me on. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Connected Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co backslash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monteverde Ride, and it was written by Brian Bristow and performed by the Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. 
You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co backslash center for more information. Thanks for listening.